Let's, uh, let's open in a word of prayer, shall we? Father, thank you for the gift of your word, the Bible. Uh, open it to us, we pray, this morning. Um, open our hearts to what you would have to say. We, we pray this in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Andrew, and I'm a pastor here at the Leewood Campus of Christ Community. And uh, fair warning, I thought the, the worship, the music, and the announcement were really good. Um, so I just think it's only going to go downhill from here. Uh, part, that's part of what's tough about coming up here third. So it's a fair warning. Um, that's a backhanded compliment, right, to Randy and his team. <laughs> well, if you weren't here last week uh, for the holiday, uh, you might not know this, but it's, it's an exciting time here because we are uh, preaching about Jesus for the next few Sundays. And uh, uh, if you've been with us since last January, you know as a church we've been preaching through uh, basically the whole Bible. Um, and we have been in the, the Old Testament since last January. So, we're, you know, we finally made it to the New Testament. Hopefully that excites you. Uh, if, you're, if you're reading along and open here, uh, you should feel some relief. That's our reading plan for the, for the Bible. If you're reading along with us, you should be relieved because you're now in the New Testament and these are finally stories that you can read and understand uh, without, you know, having to get a commentary or something. Um, so last Sunday we talked about uh, Jesus' birth. Uh, him entering the world. And this Sunday, today, we're talking about Jesus' teaching, the heart of his teaching. We're looking really at what is Jesus' stump speech, a summary of the themes that were the most important to him in his, in his preaching and in his ministry. And I wonder, with that in mind, if, if, I were to, if we were to ask just a random group of people, uh, what, what was the, the core message of Jesus? I bet we would get a lot of different answers. And I wonder if we would hear, you know, Jesus offered forgiveness or Jesus offered unconditional love, or Jesus preached tolerance and acceptance. Uh, but uh, Jesus, or, or maybe Jesus was my homeboy, someone might say. Um, man, I butchered that joke. Uh, <laughs> and uh, all of these, right, right, all this acceptance, forgiveness, tolerance, all of those things uh, are true to a certain extent. But none of them are at the heart of what Jesus taught. None of them are at the heart of what he said. And in fact, in, uh, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke... Now, the first words Jesus ever preaches publicly are not accept God's love or accept God's forgiveness. Those are themes in his ministry for sure, but it's not the first thing he says. The first thing he says is enter God's kingdom. Enter God's kingdom, the kingdom of God. And I remember when I was a, a new Christian, um, and uh, I, I was learning about this new concept of the kingdom of God in, in college. And uh, a friend of mine and I were talking about what I was learning in my faith. I mean, I couldn't have been a Christian for more than a couple weeks at this point. And uh, he's probably just checking up, make sure I wasn't uh, uh, like getting heretical. But uh, he said, hey, what are, you, you know, what are you studying? What are you learning? And uh, we talked about it. And he said, well, have you, have you done any, any studying on the kingdom? Have you looked at the kingdom at all? And uh, I looked at him. I had no clue what he was talking about. Um, and I'm from L.A., so when you say kingdom, I think Disneyland. So I said, you mean like the magical kingdom? Um, and he said, no, God's, God's kingdom. Jesus' favorite thing to talk about. And uh, I had no idea um, that this kingdom of God, how important it was, the kingdom of God. More than sin or salvation or forgiveness, Jesus talks about the kingdom of God over and over and over again. And you see, Jesus taught uh, that every one of us, every one of us, whether we're aware of it or not, whether we, can, we would articulate it out loud or not, we are part of a kingdom. And that isn't uh, a popular thing to say in America, right? We fought a war 200 years ago to get rid of a king. Um, but Jesus would say, nonetheless, you, you are part of a kingdom. You are part of a kingdom. It's not a political kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. 
You're part of a kingdom. And every kingdom, when you think about it, right, has values. It has things that are important, things that are up here. And it has things that are unimportant, things that are down here. And every kingdom has a version of the good life. What does the good life look like? What does a good person look like? Every kingdom, in other words, every kingdom tells you how to live. And we experience something like what I'm talking about every day in our everyday lives. So uh, when a company hires a new CEO, that person brings with them a whole set of values, a whole set of principles, a whole set of goals that will redefine that company and the people working there. And if you, when you graduate up, right, and you move up grades in school from you know, second to third grade, you get a totally different teacher. It's a totally different way of communicating, a totally different way of, of teaching. And that changes the way you learn and the way you think. We all understand this, this principle. We all live in a spiritual kingdom like this that affects us. We all think that certain things are valuable. We think certain things are good and other things are bad. And we all have an idea of what the good life, what the moral life looks like, and we strive for it. We pursue it in the way we live. We're part of a kingdom. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, that wasn't really a radical or new idea in the ancient world because kingdoms were common then, so that, that made sense to people. Um, but what, what was and is radical about what Jesus said uniquely is that everyone belongs to a kingdom, not simply that everyone belongs to a kingdom, but there are really only two kingdoms to belong to, just two. Jesus taught fundamentally there, there are only two ways of life. There are two value systems that every human being follows. And he called those things, he called one the kingdom of the world, and he called the other the kingdom of God. That's it. You're either a citizen of one or you're a citizen of the other. And, and God's kingdom is where his, his power and his values and his reign are supreme, are most important. And the kingdom of the world is where your power and your values and your decisions and your desires are most important. And Jesus, more than anything, came to show the difference between God's kingdom and everyone else's. And at this point, if you're, you're here, if, if you're a Christian, if, you're a Jesus, if you follow Jesus, you're probably thinking, yes, I, I've heard about this. I'm a citizen of God's kingdom. I'm all in. Let's move on. Um, and we want to believe that. I want to believe that about myself. I want to live that way. Basically, until <laughs> I read Jesus' definition of his kingdom in Luke chapter 6, verse 20, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And then I kind of go, well, uh-oh. Right? And then it gets worse the more you read. Blessed are you who are starving. Blessed are you when you cry your eyes out. Blessed are you when you have no friends because nobody likes you, says Jesus. Because these are essential parts of the Christian life. In that moment, in that day, then you're experiencing my kingdom. Blessed are the disappointed. Blessed are the rejects and the losers. And, and Jesus lifts up as valuable things in life that most of us would really rather avoid. And he judges and condemns the values of the kingdom of the world. He's the rich, the comfortable, the powerful in verses 24 to 26. This is how he defines his kingdom. Jesus is turning the world upside down. And in the midst of him doing that, we're kind of like, wait, Jesus, stop. I want the stuff that you're saying is bad for me. Can we go back and, and rethink this together? If Jesus were trying to get elected today, and this was his stump speech, he would never get elected. And, and yet, Jesus claims, and this is the bizarre part, Jesus claims here that only God's kingdom, only the disappointed life, is truly satisfying. And the life that seems to have it all together, the kingdom of the world will 
always ultimately disappoint you. So what in the world is Jesus saying? Well, to understand what he's saying, we, we need to answer three, three questions of this text. Uh, here's where we're going. Here's how he notes. You can write these down. The first question is, what exactly is so wrong with the kingdom of the world? Why is Jesus so down on it? Second question, what, what exactly is so great about God's kingdom? And then finally, how do we live in God's kingdom? In light of all of that, how do we live in God's kingdom? So first, what, what is so wrong with the kingdom of the world? Because it actually sounds kind of good <laughs> to, well, on first reading. Well, if you haven't uh, turned to Luke chapter 6, uh, if, you get, if you can get to the New Testament, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke. It's the third book, chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 24. We're going to skip the first few verses, start in verse 24. Uh, this is Jesus' summary in verse 24 of the kingdom of the world. This is what he says. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. And woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. And in Jesus' own subtle way, he is summarizing the values. He is summarizing the most important things that the kingdom, in the kingdom of the world. And here they are. Power, comfort, success, and acclaim, or popularity, or celebrity. So he says, uh, woe to the rich, woe to the rich. But wealth is really a matter of power. So we have power. He says, woe to the well-fed. And this, is, you know, this idea of food is, is a summary of all kinds of worldly goods. So the nice house, great food, expensive car, comfort. Woe to those who laugh. Now this word laugh doesn't mean woe to those who like a funny joke. Uh, the word laughter here is a gloating laughter. It's, it's a laughter of when you've defeated your opponent. You laugh over them. So success. You have success over someone. And woe to you when people, people speak well of you, when they like you. So recognition, celebrity. These, says Jesus, are the most important things. These are the most valuable things. These are the most treasured things in the kingdom of the world. These are what life is all about there. And if you can get these, right, then you've arrived. You're living the good life. And it isn't hard to see that these things, these four things, in one form or another, are basically worshipped all over the world. Success, power, comfort, recognition. They may look different in different places, but they are always valuable. They are always important. And it also isn't hard to see that even those, for those of us, I, I throw myself in there, who, who follow Jesus, we often make life decisions based on these values. These are the things we still want. Almost everything we do as individuals and as a society is to get more, to, to secure more of these things. Power, comfort, success, acclaim. We use our job, we use our families, our grades, our friends, whatever it is to get more. And you know this is true because all of our deepest fears are tied to losing one or all of these things. So think about it. I mean, what if I'm alone? What if, I, what if I'm abandoned? What if, uh, what if I lose my job and I can't take care of myself, I can't take care of my family? What if uh, I blow my next project or, I, or I, 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 I don't do well in my next... What if I fail in life? What if I'm a failure? See, from our perspective, whether we say it out loud or not, these things, they define the life that we want. But there are, there are at least three, there are at least three fundamental problems with the kingdom of this world. 
And Jesus uh, points all three out in, in these verses. And the first problem with the kingdom of the world is that it does not ultimately satisfy. It doesn't satisfy. And uh, you see this in verse 24 in particular. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Or another way of putting that, woe to you who are rich because you've received your reward in full. You've already got it. And Jesus is basically saying to the rich and the powerful, which are many of us, frankly, from a global perspective, many of us here in this room, that if all you live for is power, if all you live for is wealth, then that's all you will get. And anyone who has wealth or who has power knows that life is not fundamentally more satisfying with it than without it. All the psychological research we have available to us confirms this fact that life is not more satisfying at the top than it is at the bottom. And, and, and like anything that doesn't satisfy, uh, like power and wealth, they become addictions because you never have enough. And that craving for more, that insecurity that what you have you, you'll lose, that anxiety that comes with all of that, that is your ultimate reward in the kingdom of the world. That's what Jesus is saying. This is, he's saying this is as good as it gets because what you, you will never enjoy what you have because it's never enough. And just to drive home the point, and not to be cliche here, but you look at the people in our society who embody the good life. Do they seem happy and satisfied to you in every case? Paul Johnson wrote a book a few years ago. It's called Intellectuals where he catalogs the lives of people who by any worldly standard were wild successes. So people like Ernest Hemingway, Bertrand Russell, Jean-Paul Sartre, people that are well thought of, people that are, are influential, well off. And he painstakingly shows, Johnson does, just how dissatisfied and depressed and abusive these people ended up becoming at the end of their lives. They were mostly miserable people. And of course, we, we could extend that thinking to, to include media personalities, athletes, famous people whose marriages are falling apart, who are deeply troubled, deeply insecure, have various addiction issues. And this isn't to put those people down. It simply proves the point. These things don't satisfy as promised. And, and we, we see that and we know that, and yet we live as if it's not true. And Jesus is saying... The kingdom of this world promises so much. It promises satisfaction, but leaves you wanting more and more and more. It doesn't satisfy. Second problem with the kingdom of the world is that it doesn't last. It doesn't last. And you see this throughout these verses as Jesus uses the word now over and over again. Woe to you who are full now, who laugh now. And it's almost implied in the other two. Who are rich now, who are famous now. And you begin to see that the real appeal, that the real power of the, of the kingdom of the world is the power of the now, of the right now. And Jesus, Jesus admits that right now, those things pay off right now. The problem is that, that these things don't last. They don't last. And I hate to be the one to tell you this, but if you build your life on power, if you build your life on power, it, you, will, you will lose it as you grow old. Old age will rob it of you. It will happen. You will, your, your mind will fail you, your, or your body will fail you. You will, lose your, you will lose even the most basic powers <laughs> to make decisions for yourself. You will lose. And if you build your life on wealth, it will abandon you. It will go to someone else. You cannot take it with you. 
And if you build your life on a claim or a popularity or success, you will be forgotten. Your record will be eclipsed. Your impact will be lost. Your legacy will be ignored. It will happen. In other words, Jesus says, death always wins in the kingdom of the world. Always wins. It's the great equalizer. Nothing can last. Nothing can survive death and decay. So woe to you, says Jesus, if you chase after these things because you are wasting your time. The third problem, final problem, with the kingdom of the world is that it isn't right. It isn't right. It's wrong. That's why Jesus says over and over again that a reversal is coming, that a judgment is coming. Woe to you, for you will weep. You will be hungry. You will be miserable if you continue in this way of life. God is judging this kingdom of the world. When Jesus says, woe to you, woe to you, he's warning us that this kingdom is a lie, that it is evil. It's evil. And this makes sense when you think about it, because think of the people in history, excuse me, think of the people in history who have been so captivated by the kingdom of this world, who have been so captivated by power and comfort and security and acclaim and popularity, who have been so captivated by the power of the now, Think of these people. These, these are the most evil people in human history. These are dictators and tyrants and swindlers and oppressors. These are sociopaths and murderers. When power becomes everything, when power becomes everything, people become nothing. When riches are everything, you, you will oppress poor, the poor around you. You will do it. When a claim becomes everything, you will sell your soul for it. And when the kingdom of the world really takes over someone's life and they embrace it wholeheartedly, history shows the evil that follows. It's evil. Jesus is saying if you truly live as if all of these things are the most important things, then you will get a kingdom where those are the most important things. And at the end of time, that kingdom will be called hell. Because, I mean, what do you think hell is? Hell is the place where your agenda and your ambition... And your blindness has finally excluded you from every good thing God has for you. That's hell. Jesus is warning us this kingdom, or actually before then, C.S. Lewis is, is helpful here. He calls hell a ruthless, selfless, self, sleepless, unsmiling concentration upon the self. That's the product of the kingdom of the world. Hell itself is what you get. And the, the kingdom you choose now, the kingdom you choose in this life is the one you get then. And Jesus is warning us that the kingdom of the world is not simply unsatisfactory, it's not simply temporary, but that it is bad. It's wrong. It's evil. And it will so corrupt you. You may not even sense it, but it will so corrupt you that you will become an agent of hell. You may not even know it. So what's the alternative to this? What does Jesus recommend we do? What is so great about God's kingdom? What's so great about being disappointed in life? (laughs) This is our second question. And uh, Jesus answers this question back in verse 20 of chapter 6 when he describes the kingdom of God. He says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when you are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. And blessed are you when people hate you 
and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. And you read that and you see that essentially Jesus' values are the, are the opposite of the kingdom of the world. Jesus' values are weakness, sacrifice, grief, and exclusion, which is a real upper, right? Now, words, words like that, teaching like that, has gotten Jesus pegged as an unstable person by several prominent psychologists. And it wasn't actually that long ago that one of them in the Royal Society of Medicine he's giving a speech to this royal society, and uh, he, he says this about Luke chapter 6 and other, other teachings of Jesus like it. He says, Jesus' teaching blesses the poor, the meek, the persecuted, exhorts us not to resist evil, but to offer the second cheek to the smiter, and to do good to those who hate you, and forgive men their trespasses. And this is his conclusion of that teaching. He says, all of this breathes masochism. It's just masochistic, which basically means you find pleasure in hurting yourself. So what is, what is this? What is Jesus teaching? Is it, is it masochism or is it profound wisdom? Well, you see, most people have read Jesus here and they basically think Jesus is saying the good life is off limits to Christians. He's saying whatever's good, they're saying, whatever's good in life, Jesus says you can't have that. But G, that, that is masochism. But Jesus is doing something far more profound than that. Jesus isn't saying the good life is off limits. He's redefining the good life altogether. He's redefining it. And here's how. There are three things Jesus says about life in his kingdom that make it far superior to life in the kingdom of the world. Three things. The first is this. Life in God's kingdom is blessed. It's blessed. Now, what does that mean? This is the key descriptor Jesus gives for life in the kingdom. Blessed are you. Blessed are you. He says it over and over again. Now, most of us, and the kingdom of the world thinks this way in general, see blessing as a matter of circumstance. So you would say to someone, show me your house, show me your bank account, show me your car, show me your family, and I'll tell you if you're blessed or not. Right? It's circumstantial. But Jesus is saying in his kingdom, there is a kind of blessing that transcends your circumstances. There's a blessing that you have. There's a blessing that you always have. No matter what is happening in your life, no matter what circumstance you find yourself in, there is a blessing that cannot be taken from you, that cannot be touched. And this is why the New Testament, when you read it, is constantly talking about our lives, our identities, our true riches being hid with Christ. They're hidden in him. Colossians 3.3, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Because when you follow Jesus and you trust in his sacrifice for you on the cross, you realize that your worth, your identity, your power, your riches are based on a gift from him. They are, they are, that your status before God and not before other people, your status before God is secure because of what Jesus has done, not, not what you have done. And that means that in the day you feel weak, in the day you feel weak, you are stronger than you know. And in the day you lack something, you are full to the brim. And in the day that you grieve, you grieve with a tremendous otherworldly kind of hope. And in the day that you're excluded, in the, in the day you lose out on something because of what you say or believe, on the, on the day someone doesn't like you, 
you can experience real joy because you know you are accepted forever in God's kingdom. You're accepted. And the kingdom of the world cannot offer you anything like this blessing. In the kingdom of the world, grief and hope, joy and exclusion, power in weakness, these things cannot go together. They don't, they don't hold together. If and when, in the kingdom of the world, if and when you lose your power, your wealth, your reputation, your comfort, your world is, is over. Your blessing is gone. Only in Jesus' kingdom can you handle the circumstances of life and be blessed. It doesn't mean that you seek those things. It doesn't mean you seek poverty or that you seek pain or that you seek exclusion. It means that when those things come, and they will, you can trust God through them. You can see the value of those circumstances in, in, in shaping who you are. You can relate to others going through similar struggles. You can be blessed. Life in God's kingdom is blessed no matter what is happening, no matter what your circumstance. Life in God's kingdom is also eternal. This is the second difference. Life in God's kingdom is eternal. Where the kingdom of the world is powered by the now. The kingdom of God is powered by the then. Jesus speaks in the future tense all over this passage. Then you will be satisfied. Then you will laugh. And in essence, Jesus says that in his kingdom, part, part of how you can submit to the difficulties and trials and pains in life now is that there is a future. There is a then worth waiting for. And a day is coming when wrongs will be put right and when the proud will be brought low and when the humble will be raised up. And the poverty and the grief and the pain we experience now every day will be gone forever. Now, a lot of people have criticized Christianity and Jesus in particular, for this kind of thinking. Because people have said, well, that's just pie in the sky by and by. Right? You're just dangling a promise to get you through the hardships of life. And this, that, that kind of thinking keeps the poor, keeps the oppressed uh, from seeking freedom, from seeking justice, from standing up for themselves. Karl Marx, right, called it the opiate of the people. They use it to deceive themselves. This could not be more wrong. God's kingdom and the promise of future justice is what empowers the church. It is not what holds it back. 2,000 years ago in Rome, it was because of the martyr's willingness to die, to be thrown to the animals in the arena, because of their hope of a future that changed an empire. It's because of their belief in the future. And it was because of Jesus' promise of a resurrection life that generations of African Americans persevered through slavery and gave them, it gave them the power, it gave them the resources to nonviolently protest in the civil rights movement. Where do you think that came from? It came from the kingdom. Jesus' promise of a kingdom. And of course, this promise of God's kingdom, of a future reward, can, be, can get us through the most difficult circumstances in life. This is how Christians are armed to persevere in things like unemployment or a difficult marriage or a difficult job or worse, the loss of a loved one. The kingdom of the world in those moments of darkness, they, it has no comfort to offer you. Because in that kingdom, as we said, death and loss have the final word. That's it. There's nothing else to say. But in God's kingdom, something more precious, something more beautiful, something more perfect then you can now imagine is coming. It's an eternal kingdom. 
It's one worth waiting for. It's one worth sacrificing for. It's one worth fighting for in, our, in the here and now, in our present struggles and circumstances. God's kingdom is blessed. It is eternal. And finally, it's a gift. It's a gift. There's, there's nothing we can do to earn it. And you see this most powerfully in verse 20. Blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you who have nothing to offer. For yours is the kingdom of God. God's kingdom takes seriously the fact that human beings in every case are dirt poor when it comes to how they relate to God. Dirt poor. We have no leverage with him. We have nothing to offer him that he doesn't already have. But he welcomes us anyway because of Jesus' sacrifice. And this eternal life of blessing and riches and honor in God's kingdom is a free gift, which means that in faith, even your failures, even your struggles, even your weakness will not disqualify you from entering God's kingdom. Everyone, everyone is welcome there. And the kingdom of the world is not so gracious. The day you lose your edge, the day you lose your step on the competition, the day your company thinks you're expendable, the day you make a huge mistake that costs you your reputation, you're, li- you're, you're out. You're out. That's it. But God has promised to never change his mind about us because his opinion is based on Jesus' faithfulness, not ours. That is why the poor or the poor in spirit, as Matthew calls them in his version of the sermon, are always blessed in God's kingdom. Always blessed. Because they grasped that their spiritual poverty and, and they live in the freedom that that alone offers. Freedom from performance and from perfection and from competition and from people's opinions. Freedom from the worries and the anxieties that go along with living in the kingdom of the world. Freedom. To be poor in spirit is to accept God's kingdom as a gift. Now the truth behind everything Jesus is saying here is that there are certain aspects of each one of our lives, there are certain times of our lives that we live more in the kingdom of the world than in the kingdom of God. Even those of us who who follow Jesus, this is is hard. And and this has always been a tension in Christianity because when Jesus came, he brought with him the kingdom of God, but he didn't wipe out the kingdom of the world. They exist alongside each other. They exist together. They exist out here around us, and they exist in here within us. So as followers of Jesus, how do we learn? How do we learn to live more and more into the reality of God's kingdom? This is our last question. And I think there are really, there are really only two things to say here. First, for the person out there right now, whether, whether it's now or in general in your life, for the person who's pretty satisfied with life, who feels powerful or full or successful or popular right now, those things aren't inherently wrong. Where for the person who has those things and feels content with them or is terrified to lose them or is compromising their integrity for them, remember to be disappointed. Be disappointed. One of the subtle things Jesus is saying here is that this life we find ourselves in, even in the best of circumstances, which most of us here are in the, are, you know, we're middle class Americans, we're in the best of circumstances, even the best of circumstances in life are ultimately disappointing. So don't put your hope, don't put your identity, don't put your joy into these things. They're here today and they're gone tomorrow. And frankly, they're not all that cracked, they're not all that cracked up to be anyway. 
And ultimately, for every Christian person, regardless of your circumstances, the way the world runs, the way the world operates, the way the world treats people should disappoint you. And if, you, if it hasn't yet, it will. And if it doesn't ever, watch out. Only God's kingdom. Don't forget, don't let momentary success or pleasure or power blind you from the fact that only God's kingdom satisfies and only God's kingdom lasts. When you grasp that more and more, the more free you will find yourself from your circumstances, the more generous you'll be with the resources that you have, the more compassionate you'll be with people who are less fortunate than you. Healthy, God-focused disappointment in life is the foundation of the good life, according to Jesus. So cultivate a healthy disappointment. Second thing, for the person who is disappointed, for the person who is experiencing incredible pain or fear or doubt, for the person who is beginning to lose hope or faith in God's goodness because of what's happening to you, for the person who feels alone or abandoned, remember this, remember to be blessed. Be blessed. Get God's promises, like the ones that are in Luke chapter 6 that are all over the scriptures, Get, them, get that word of blessing into your heart. Memorize it. Repeat it to yourself over and over and over again. And begin, if you can, to interpret your circumstances through them rather than the other way around. Don't let circumstances define your relationship with God. Let your relationship with God, let his opinion of you define your circumstances. There's very, and and I, I get it, there's very little in the Christian life that is harder than what I just said. It's very difficult. But it's at the heart of the life God wants for us. It's at the heart of his kingdom. And the truth is this. Nothing that happens to you can separate you from God's love. Not even death. Not even death itself. You see, the kingdom of the world, we've said this, even at its best, is subject to death. It always dies. When Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead... He was declaring to us and to anyone who would follow him that his kingdom is invincible. His kingdom is untouchable, even by death. And now he literally embodies a promise to each one of us that the best is yet to come. There's nothing this life can throw at you that can take that away. And Jesus came preaching, enter God's kingdom. And in the end, he showed us exactly how to do it. Death to self and the kingdom of this world and new resurrection, life in him. Blessed are the crucified with Christ, for they will be raised up, and they will enter into God's kingdom forever. Let's pray. Father, we confess so often we are disillusioned, we are confused by what the kingdom of this world tells us is important and good. So Father, thank you for a reminder that it's you alone who satisfies is you alone who gives life. And God, by the power of your spirit, I pray you, you bring us more and more into the reality of your kingdom, that we are loved and accepted in your son Jesus. And it's in his name I ask these things. Amen.